Welcome to the Travel Pulse Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Bowman, the executive editor of TravelPulse.com. Today is Tuesday, February 21st. Happy Travel Tuesday, everyone. Hope you have a great start to your week here. We've got a great show for you today, talking big news around the world of travel. And don't forget, you can reach out to the show and leave your comments or feedback via email. Podcast at TravelPulse.com is that email. Or you can give us a call on the hotline, 201-381-3017 is the Travel Pulse podcast number. Leave a message. And if you could leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts, I would greatly appreciate it. So now... Joining me on the show is Kier Matthews, Chief Experience Curator and owner of Warner Brothers Travel. Welcome to the show, Kier. Tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. Hi, Eric. Thanks for having me. My name is Kier Matthews, as you said, uh, Chief Experience Curator at Warner Brothers Travel and owner. I like the title Chief Experience Curator because I'm not just planning travel. It is for me, travel is about the experiences, whether it's the experience on the air, experience at the hotel, experience with the guides or experience in restaurants, so on and so forth. So we, we like to stick with experience because that's what we really want to focus on. I love that. Yeah. And you have a, quite the vast experience in the travel industry coming from the supplier side before and also yep. now being on the agency side. So looking forward to your insights that you're going to dive into uh, with me here on the show. And I will not be surprised if uh, like, you know, six months from now, you start seeing chief experience curator on a lot of business cards. I think people are going to steal <laughs> that from you, man. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yes, I have a varied experience um, in the industry. Um, as you know, working for a number of suppliers um, and for one of the consortia. So yeah, good bit of experience all around, to be quite frank. And uh, I'm excited for our conversation today. Yeah. So later on in the show, Kieran and I are going to talk about like the changes that have happened over the last year and the changes we still need to see in the industry is that's the theme of this week's show. But first, as we do for every episode, in case this is your first time listening, we're going to dive into what's been trending in the world of travel in the last week. And we begin with uh, some of the travelers top concerns right now. There was a new survey released from Global Rescue and their winter 2023 traveler safety and sentiment survey. And the top concerns of that is, is um, that are worrying travelers is the civil unrest around the world, and that has surpassed COVID by far as a traveler's top concern, and then injury or illness unrelated to COVID-19 is actually the second biggest concern right now, according to this survey. But Kier, I want to get your thoughts on on travel concerns, or if if any, do you, you or your clients have in, in this current landscape of uh, the industry right now? Well, I, I think always, at least since, you know, when you think about the Arab Spring, back to the Arab Spring, I think everyone is concerned, Eric, around civil unrest, because um, we're getting more divided than we are becoming more united. So I think civil concern and civil unrest is always going to be that. COVID is going to be up there, our own personal health. When you think about how we are traveling and we've got exposure to different things, you know, our health, we've become much more conscious and aware of our health in the last, I think, since COVID Um because people had to deal with comorbidities and so on and so forth. The interesting thing is when I talk to my clients, the thing that they're most concerned about is weather. And it's fascinating because they go to certain destinations for um, weather-related experiences. And what I mean by that is someone going to um, to a rainforest, they, they, they want that experience, right? They, they're making a decision to go there. We tend to think about it as customers going to a beach location and wanting sun all the time, but people go to all around the world for different um, experiences and weather is dependent upon it. So I think I deal more with weather these days than I do with health and global health concerns and civil unrest, to, to be quite honest with you. 
unfortunately, you know, Mother Nature is going to do what she does, and we, we can't really do much on that. But that's interesting that that comes up more 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 frequently. Um, I'm surprised price wasn't really li- or cost wasn't really listed too much on this survey here. But you know, when it comes to safety, that's always going to be a key focal point for so many travelers and their booking decisions out there. And that's why you know I'm always saying a you know, travel advisor is your best bet for anyone. Any of our consumer listeners out there right now, you know, got to get a travel advisor. That's going to help you and help alleviate any major concerns you have just to be able to discuss that with sort of an expert traveler there. And, you know, just because your local news station ran a story on, you know, Mexico's do not travel warning or whatever, it doesn't necessarily mean you need to cancel your vacation right away. You know, talk talk that over with your advisor and advisors need to, you know, talk that with their clients of when those type of, uh, you know, mainstream posts or whatever come up of, uh, you know, I saw that over the last couple of weeks here of, you know, Mexico's do not travel warning and recent um, Mexico travel advisory. And it's like that travel advisory is from like October, but here's, it's the same thing happens every, before every spring break, you know, there's always some right. sort of post of like, do not travel here and all this. And it's like, well, you know, that may be a concern. Yes, but it's where you're actually going. isn't necessarily as dangerous as this headline might pertain uh, to, to be. You know, so. Yeah. I think, you know, I just want to touch on that for really quickly. Yeah. I think, we the news is there to get attention and to draw you in for whatever reason um i i think we live in a world today um where we we no longer feel safe going into the grocery store we no longer feel safe going into movie theaters and sporting events and so on and so on and so forth so i think our connection or feelings around safety are um, and warnings are a little bit uh, different. Here's the one thing I will do go back on when you talked about you were surprised that price was not an issue. I think we have lived with um, such high or higher inflation over the last couple of years, Eric, that we just know everything is going to be more expensive now. And what we also learned coming out of COVID is all those trips that we put off and the things that we said we were going to do that we had not done, we're like, okay, we're going to go now. So yes, uh, the trip to Hawaii may be, you know, a few dollars more, the trip to Mexico or the trip to Europe may be a few dollars more than it was pre pandemic, but we value that and we want to go do that now. And we've put our priorities in place. So we've adjusted our lifestyles to afford the higher ticket prices or sticker prices. Right. Yeah, very well said. It does seem like there has been more of a kind of an acceptance of the cost and the price of everything right now compared to even just like six months ago when we inflation was, you know, super high and everything. So that's but that's good for the industry. Obviously, you know, on our side of things, that's people are booking, people are still traveling. And that that is certainly great for the industry. You know, as as we jump over to destination news now, um, had a big one here. I was just in Portugal last week and interviewed, you know, their CEO of their tourism board and their Secretary of State Tourism. They didn't really mention any of this. I thought they would kind of uh, maybe maybe it was still just in the works and didn't have anything finalized because it was towards the end of the week that this was announced of Portugal is going to curtail Airbnbs there. The country is putting a ban on new licenses for Airbnbs and other short term holiday rentals and just got me thinking, you know, Kier, do you think other destinations might follow suit on this as uh, as they try to you know, help out their residents. That's what Portugal's main focus here. Or, or should any other destinations, you know, work to to curtail the the short term uh, rental holiday um, industry there? You know, Eric, this is a very um, interesting question, and and I think in some destinations it needs to be curtailed. I don't want to get into a list of destinations that, that I think, but I think in some destinations you've seen um, an explosion 
of people who had a home in a destination, a second or third home, and then Air, um, Airbnb and Verbo and all of the other short-term rentals, vacation rentals came about. And so they said, oh, well, this house is just sitting in Destination X. It's a popular destination. Let's put it on one of these short-term rental programs and so on and so on and so forth. So what you what you traditionally had as the kind of hotel ecosystem has not only been disrupted from a can you keep people employed and all of that? But you fundamentally changed some of these communities and neighborhoods where these houses are, where you know local residents live and who may not want to turn their the house next door over to some you know raging forty year old partiers or something along those lines. So I personally um, had an experience with a short term rental in Europe in September, and it ended up being. Um, I was, you know, post stay, I was, you know, I got the owners tried to shake me down for money um, for quote damages, unquote. And there was literally no damages. And I am very thankful. I took pictures when I walked in and pictures when I left of everything so that I could um, prove this. But, you know, I think it needs to be curtailed in some destinations. In some destinations, it actually helps tourism if there's not a lot of hotels in that spot um you know i was in northeast washington recently and there's not a lot of hotels over there but it's great hiking trails and great um snowshoeing and mountain biking and cross-country skiing well that's an area where short-term rentals can help open up um opportunities for visitors right Mm -hmm. Uh, because there's not a lot of hotels so it's all about the destination so those are my thoughts no i agree i think the the big cities tend you you tend to find the more issues i would say in in the short-term rental stuff whereas you know more um open areas like that and where you said there's just not a whole lot of hotel inventory i mean you see that too in my my old hometown like there there actually was a hotel that popped up because of a lot of airbnbs were around and the city realized that there's a need for you know, people coming in and visiting their own family and all that stuff. So yeah, it happens. And I, I, there's certainly, you know, the the Airbnbs and the Robo, they're, they're, they're not going to go away. They're, they're here to stay. It's just kind of, you, you have to roll with that in the industry. And and, and I think governments too, and, and cities got to weigh the pros and cons of this. And Portugal's decision, um, I, I commend them on this because they are one of the uh, poorest countries in Western Europe. Uh, last year, more than 50% of their workers earned less than a thousand euros per month. And while in Lisbon alone, rents jumped 37% in 2022. And my guide was telling me last week while I was in Portugal that the uh, real estate market has jumped like 19% within a year of just everything is just so more expensive. You know, it goes back to cost and prices of everything. So, yeah, there's a plenty of hotel options, you know, in, in Lisbon and Portugal. And it's definitely a destination you want to want to get to. And there still are Airbnbs. It's not, you know, it's completely ended or anything like that. It's just that, you know, no new licenses. You don't need any more new ones. And I think that, like you said, there's certainly some destinations out there that could uh, to lend to that. So jumping over to other destination news, we've got spring break is coming up right around the corner for a lot of American travelers, whether you're, you know, going in March or April, depending on where you're at based in um, in the US of when your spring break time period is when you get off from school, whether you're in college or high school or elementary school or whatever. Um, the demand is still there, you know, even as we go, despite the soaring prices, as we kind of discussed earlier in the show, people have got a little bit of acceptance to that. And, and the TSA came out and said that they are preparing for higher spring break travel volumes. They announced progress on enhanced security, checkpoint efficiency, and passenger experience investments, including increasing public awareness about traveling with firearms and deploying 
new technology to help streamline the process there. And they said in, uh, in a statement in January, we experienced our first full month where travel volumes exceeded the same month in 2019. We fully expect to see an upward trend in travel volumes throughout 2023, including during the spring break period, which, yeah, no surprise there. That's obvious. It's going to be a big one coming up. So, Kier, your thoughts on spring break travel expectations, any predictions for the is again, it's just, I mean, it should be a pretty busy one. You have a lot of clients on the move this spring break or is it the focus to summer? Um, you know, um, a lot of my clients um, have traveled for uh, MLK weekend, President's Day. And so a lot of my clients are actually traveling to their second homes for spring break um, and not as a matter of fact, all of them are. None of them are getting on well, they're getting on planes to their second homes. They're not um going to uh you know, some of their normal normal vacations. But I can tell you this, my own 18-year-old daughter who's a senior in high school is traveling this spring break. And she's traveling with a couple of friends and one of the parents sets of parents taking the girls um uh, on vacation. And I can tell you um the one-way ticket for her to get to Cabo from Seattle um, was ridiculously high. Her spring break also happens to be tied to Easter. She's at a Jesuit high school, so um, it, th- those prices weekend, tend yeah. to be a little bit higher. Um, when we talk about you know kind of TSA preparing for higher spring break volumes and, and so on and so forth, you know we made sure she has TSA pre-check. We also added her to our clear account so she can zip through the lines um we got all the friends traveling we recommend the parents get them on clear and you know make sure they got their tsa pre-check just to kind of expedite that i'll give you an example most airports in the u.s that have clear most all of them have a single security line that is for clear and tsa pre-check only so you got to have both right and one of the joys of that, I mean, I'm just using this as an example because it is here in Seattle for sure, and I've seen it in other airports. Um, one of the joys in that is you, even in Atlanta, can clear, um, you can get through security in 10, 15 minutes max in Atlanta, um, the busiest airport in the world. So it, it, I think people need to make sure that they've, they're taking advantage of all of the systems, tools, and things that they can use in order to to get through security because it's going to be busy. Or if it's too late and you don't have access and can't get all those things, just be prepared. And instead of two hours, get there three hours before. It's just bad. Most If you go to the TSA website, you can look at your airport and see what the lines are for for TSA pre-check and for the regular non-TSA pre-check line. So you can, they show that in real time, how long it's taking for the, you know, to get through um, those lines. Yeah, that's essential too, you know, and you got to pack your patience really this spring. I think, you know, I don't think it'll be as bad as, uh, you know, the chaos of last summer with all the staffing issues. Hopefully we're back up to a little better times here in 2023 on that, but it's certainly going to be busy. It's going to be crowded and you should expect to have to wait. So yeah, pack your patience on that for sure. And if you haven't booked yet, you're, you should have booked yesterday, really, for spring break. Maybe you should. Uh, maybe you should look to to summer at this point. Unless you know you're you're dead set on something, then that's where I always say go back to my my tried and true. There, work with a travel advisor. They'll, they'll find you something that you can you can fit in on on a spring break getaway for a last minute one here. Yeah, we 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 know some things. We know a thing or two <laughs> about some opportunities out there for sure. 
Indeed. So jumping over to cruise news as we wrap up here, what's been trending in the, in the world of travel in the last week, it's the uh, growing popularity of world cruises. MSC Cruises last week announced that they've opened up sales for 2025 World Cruise. So that, that seems like forever away, but I guess not too far. But uh, several other cruise lines, they have set record sales for World Cruises over the last year. And just recently, too, two former Holland America ships are now going to find new life as floating residences as a world cruise for Victoria Cruise Line. It'll last over two years, and it's going to stop at over 500 ports, and you basically just live on a cruise ship. So, Kira, if you had the time, would you take a world cruise? Would you would you sell your home? Do you know people that would sell their homes and live on a cruise ship and visit the world? Could, could you do it? <laughs> <laughs> Eric, this is, this is such a funny question, uh, and I feel kind of on the spot, but I'll be very candid uh, because that's what we do with each other. Um, absolutely not would I get on a uh, world cruise, and I will be candid. I am not a cruiser. That is not me. That is not my style. My career has been in land travel. So whether it was hotels or wholesalers, but here's what I will say about the cruise industry. I love it. I love what the cruise industry does for travel overall. It is a core foundation of, of our industry. And I think we talk about it in, in a very segmented way, but what the cruise industry does is it takes people to destinations they may be skittish about going to and making a commitment for a land vacation. It allows them to get a a taste, a bite, sometimes, you know, a day and a half in a destination, depending on the cruise line and the itinerary, to um, sense, get a sense and a feel for what it's like. And then they come back and book a a land vacation. So I'm going to tell you something. Keep those world cruises going. I think they're a great idea. Let people go and explore and come back and figure out where they want to go, dig a little deeper. So I think, quite frankly, the best way to describe it is next to the airlines, the cruise lines are really, truly, in my opinion, the foundation of this industry. You just won't find Kier on one of those ships, though. Sorry, folks. It's not happening. It's not happening. (laughs) It's not happening. I I do have a dream. There is one cruise line that I want to cruise on. I'm not going to name names, but um, it's it's new cruise line, uh, adult only. Um, And now that I'm nearly an empty nester, I certainly want to go cruise on that particular okay. cruise line i think i might know what you're all. saying but well but if you don't want to name that, that that's fine so i my, me personally i mean what way you just described is why i love cruises you get you know dip your toes in the water so to speak and sample a little bit of destinations and hit multiple spots you know in one go of vacation and you unpack one so as far as living on a boat though i don't i mean i, I love the idea of, of a world cruise and you know i say that like oh yeah it'd be fun to do but that's, you know that's, that's a long time I, I don't know if i could fully commit to just like that's a long time on the boat that's all, I mean, I know you're visiting a, a lot of destinations, long, but that's like, I, I, I'm going to, I know I'm going to miss a backyard. Yeah. I know I'm going to miss like a backyard. I'm going to miss the grass and running and like, yeah, I can visit a park at XYZ destination. You know, that's number. I want you know, my own bed, Eric. That's yeah. what it comes yes. down to. I want my own bed. Yeah, Get me back to my own bed. That's the way it goes. That's true. Yeah. This, that, that, that probably would be the ultimate sell on, uh, you know, after X number of months, I'd be like, I, I just got to get I got to get home, you know, I got to get a real home, you know, but like, you know, kudos to those people that, that do that and they, they sell their house and cheers. they're done. So thank you, know, <laughs> cheers to you. And we love it. So that, uh, that wraps up what's been trending in the world of travel in the last week. Any additional thoughts, you can drop me an email podcast at travelpulse.com. Now we're going to jump over to the theme of this week's show around changes in the travel industry and talking about, you know, things that have happened over the last year and what we still need to see. So you know, Kira, first, we'll just jump right off to it. Um, let's first chat about the changes that we've seen over the last couple of years. What, what's really stood out to you over recent 
period here? You know, <laughs> I think, that, you know, when you think about the changes in the industry, I think we've, it's a bit of a, a cycle, right? And just like our economy is a cycle and our all of our relationships are cycles, all of our interactions and emotions are in cycles. We talk about them. You know, when you look at the last couple of years, we um, acted with intention, supposedly we spoke about some of the things we wanted to do from a, a diversity, equity, and inclusion perspective. We, we talked about um, how we wanted to have a lighter environmental impact. We talked about um, how we wanted to travel with purpose and more meaning and not just, you know, kind of bucket list things. But what is fascinating to me, when you look at all of those things, the things that we said we were going to focus on in, in 2020 and 2021, we're now in a different phase of the cycle, Eric, and we're not focusing on those things anymore. There's no talk around diversity, equity, and inclusion. And when it is talked about, it is talked about from a female number of female leaders. It is not talked about from the number of Latino leaders and the number of black leaders and the number of Asian leaders. It is only diversity, equity, and inclusion has gone from being about black and brown and yellow to uh, male and male versus female. So that's one thing. We then start talking about wanting a lighter footprint. And what you've seen is, you know, a lighter um, impact on the environment. What you've seen is we've gone back to traveling the way we did. As a matter of fact, you know, there's a record number of private jet charters um, much higher than it was in 2019. Right. So we're impacting the environment in those ways. And then, you know, when we talk about traveling with a purpose and with meaning, we're, you know, people kind of traveled in 2021 and maybe early 2022 with like being slow and not, you know, bucket list checking things off. But we're back to those things. So when I think about it, I'll sum it up this way. It's a cycle like every relationship and everything we do. And we're just in different phases of the cycle. That's all. Yeah, there was a lot of talk and talk and, you know, there still is talk and talk and there was some action there. Talk. Yeah, there was some action there. And it's, it's I think that's a good way to put it of the cycle. And it just seems like, OK, we did a little action and we veered off and now we hooked right back into where we just were on things. And yeah, it's, it's, a, little, it's a little sad uh, on that. Because because those things Eric, cost money. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And you've you've got to it's some hard, uncomfortable work to be uh, intentional about bringing in people of color into your leadership team when you've when the, when the majority of your people in leadership have are not so now you're bringing in new people um you know prime example the cruise industry i'm not going to even sing about the cruise industry i'm going to sing about all industries as it relates to travel there is a vicious cycle of, oh, you work for this cruise line or this hotel chain, so we're going to steal you over here. We're going to steal you over here. So there's not even a diversity in thought, right, around how you sell. And I'm not talking about diversity in, in ethnicity. Uh, I'm talking about diversity in thought. So I think it, we're just in a cycle, and those things cost money. It costs money, and it's hard to bring in people of color who've not been in the organization for years and years and years. Those are hard. It costs money, and you have to be intentional about having a lighter footprint on the environment. That's hard. It is um, hard to 
offers slower, more intimate experiences. It costs more money. Again, not hard, but costs more money. So when you think about all these companies that were ravaged financially throughout 2020 and 2021, they're just trying to make a recovery. And so now they're back to where they are. So I'll leave that there, my friend. Is there like anything specific as like a number one change you feel that the industry needs to make? You know, moving forward, like right, right in twenty three, is we is how to break the cycle, so to speak, of what needs to be the the top priority, if if of any. I guess it kind of maybe that varies depending on sector for sure. But just curious, your thoughts there. When I think about the change that we need to make, I think about it from the perspective of growing my business. I want to see our travel partners help us acquire more customers, and so instead of taking me to dinner help me understand a trend or a destination or a spot that I really need to be encouraging guests to get my clients to go see and experience that may not be on my radar, right? So that I can create those authentic experiences. So whether it's a cruise line saying, hey, here's a cabin category on our ship that is just spot on. Clients will love it. It'll give them ba-ba-ba on all these ships look for this cabin category and sell it like the like you can't like there's no tomorrow so more consulting and advising of us the advisor on tips and tricks and spaces and places where we can actually wow our customer yeah that was kind of my next question of as a as a travel agent you know there what are things from suppliers that changes you want to see on that aspect and i think that's yeah that's key you got to have the the education there to to help guide you i mean they're they're experts of their product and you know, you as a travel advisor and all my travel advisor listeners get inundated with tons and tons of emails and pitches of different things of, hey, you know, this product and that product and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, you sort of need a little bit more hands-on help from suppliers, would you say, as far as kind of stick, getting them to, to stick out and differentiate themselves compared to others? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and say, hey, here's a, an experience that you can book for your client through us that will help you know, here is a destination that's emerging. It's a lot of consumers are not going there. Travelers aren't going there. Get your clients there. Here's what's unique about it. Stop with the long emails around, you know, all these significant updates. Just give me the one or two thing I need so that I can zip on through it. Yeah. Being more precise and, and upfront on that. Yeah. Direct. Yeah. Direct. Yeah. That, that's the way to go. So, and I think you know, I'm curious your thoughts as far as, you know, on the agency side, too, of what um, what advice would you give to other travel advisors out there just in navigating uh, 2023 to be the best that they can be? Find out. You know, it's fascinating, Eric. I talk about this a lot because I've been asked this a lot. How did you find the customers that you have? Right. I actually wasn't intending or planning on being a travel advisor. I was never going to make this change. I actually was doing something I love giving back, serving on a nonprofit board, met client number one, and two years later, I started booking her travel, which ultimately led to client number three, um, which ultimately led to referrals to get me to clients, you know, four, five, six, and seven. So all high net worth individuals, right? I want the travel advisor community to, my advice is, Go where the wealthy people are or the potential customers are and meet them there by doing something that you care about, right? I was volunteering for a nonprofit, which I was passionate about, and that's how I met client number one. So client number one is responsible for my entire book of business. Awesome. 
just think, just think about that. Right. So, and think about doing your pursuing your business from a different perspective. I don't start conversations with my clients around budget. I started around what they want from the trip, what they value from the trip. So when someone asks me, I've had a client ask me, what's the best hotel chain in the world or the best hotel brand? I always say it's going to vary depending on that trip and what you need and want from that trip. So move up. Number one, meet people where they are. You want wealthy customers, do things you love that also happen to be things that wealthy people love, right? And do. That's number one. Meet them where they are. Number two, take a very different approach in how you sell. Don't start with price. Don't get caught up. You know, I've had clients come to me and say, hey, I want this land trip to such and such destination. No more than $40,000. Okay. And I give them an itinerary for $55,000. And the client says, well, you know, that's way over my budget. I, you know, basically you were wrong. And I go, here's the deal. I put the itinerary together with my partner based on the things I thought you would be interested in. It is more efficient and convenient for me to put it all in there and let you subtract than it is for us to build day one, day two, day three, day four. Now we have two, maybe three revisions and the trip is done. That's efficient. I mean, you know, that is that is efficient. So, yeah, it's more than what they wanted to spend. But give them all the options. Let them pull those things down instead of you trying to go back and say, oh, well, and we never have any any. I do a 10 day itinerary to Europe, multi city, multi country. I can do that in three edits. That's working smarter, not harder right there. Love that. Yeah. That's working smarter, not harder. So I would encourage my advisor friends to um, take a different approach and, and not start with money and start with the experiences and help people see what what they didn't think they could do. That's great advice. Yeah, we talk about you know changes in the industry. The advisors need to make changes to their business if they really want to elevate and reach that next level, which I hear so much about anytime I meet advisors and or they or I do a show on luxury travel and I get you know emails or. or calls about, you know, oh, how do I get to that level? And oh, can you give me the contact of that person? I want to get pick their brain and all this. And yeah, that, that's that's spot on. Meet them where they're at and get passionate about the things that they do and, and network. You know, it's, it's a people skill. That's what you're in the human connection business here in, in the travel industry. And that's a big change that I think a lot of advisors out there need to make because a big change in the travel industry period is that more people are seeking out travel advisors. So maximize that, you know, as your value as an advisor and, and get out there and get in, uh, get in the face and uh, in the pockets, so to speak, of, of some of these more wealthier travelers because they're out there and, and they need your help. They desperately need your help. I will say this. I, I remember meeting client number three um, at an event that client number one was hosting. I call them number one, number three, number four, because it's the sequence to which they came to me as clients. And um, we had this very passionate conversation over a series of three or four days And it was he that uh, helped me change my business model and my approach. So he then, as a very, very successful businessman, spent time with me and helped me organize and figure out how I needed to be approaching this business. And I have a very different model than 
pretty much 99.9% of the travel advisors I know, Eric, and it was because of this one client. Fantastic. Yeah, it's, it's good to know people and uh, to you know, lean on great advice out there to help you shift your business too. So I, I appreciate and he's not in, he's nowhere near the travel industry. He's nowhere near it from a, from an operation, you know, from what he does for a living, but he understood business and he understood what motivated people in a high net worth environment. So he said, absolutely. Let's talk. Let's take this down to the bones and then rebuild it. And it was, it's been a fascinating journey. I will tell you that. Fantastic, man. I, I love to hear that. That's really good for you. And anyone that wants to get in touch with you or, um, can follow along with you or anything. What uh, anything you want to plug here as we wrap up the show? If anyone wants to reach me, it's easy. It's Kier at WarnerBrothersTravel.com or uh, my handle uh, on Instagram is Kier Matthews. So I'm very easy to contact. Listen, Eric, I want to say uh, thank you to you and to the audience, those who will give us their time to listen. Appreciate everything I've learned from every travel advisor over the last 15, 20 years of my career that I've had the privilege to work with and for and in support of, I can genuinely say I stand on their shoulders. So for me, this is about how do I help my peers grow their business? There's enough for all of us. And I think we need to start sharing our best practices more freely. So thanks for giving me the opportunity to share that. You're welcome. I love that. I think that's fantastic. Like that's so spot on. We, you know, I've seen a lot of that over just the last six months to a year here of advisors helping advisors, you know, we're, we're all in this, you guys are all in this together. I'd say weird because I'm not an advisor, but you guys are all in this yeah. together. And you know, like you said, there's, there's enough to go around. It's, it's a billion dollar industry, billion with a B there's, 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 there's big money out there folks. And there are people with big money and not using advisors and you can find them. You can find you them. Can find them. Yes. You, you can certainly find them. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks, Gear. I appreciate it, man. Thank you so much for your time. Have a wonderful week. And um, this is uh, that wraps up the show here. Everyone listening, thank you for tuning in. Leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts. I would greatly appreciate it. Podcast at travelpulse.com is the email. Thank you for listening. Have a great week. 